I have avoided eating at Smith's. And let me just say this at the top. I don't take like prejudice or bias lightly. I am being a little bit light here in the introduction so that y'all will kind of follow me into this. We're going to get a little bit more into the seriousness of prejudice. But this is an instance when I am looking for somewhere to eat and I ain't looking at Smith's. Does that make sense? Do you follow? What's bigger than me avoiding Smith's burgers or whatever is a problem that's in my heart, and it's in your heart, and it is in our broken world. And that is when we have the opportunity to have sort of a a level playing field, when we have the opportunity to interact with someone, when we see them, when we meet a new neighbor, a new colleague, and there are things in our hearts and minds that just start to fill in the gaps. And we all do this. And I gave an example just now of a burger chain where, sorry, if you want to give me a burger chain gift card, don't give me a dismiss. I gave you an example of that, but there are examples like that for all of us. And that's where we get in today's theme in our sermon series on racism and life in the spirit. We're talking about Pentecost, and today we're talking about prejudice. Now, we talked about this last week in the introduction to our sermon series. It is very difficult for the church to have an honest conversation about race and injustice and prejudice and racism. It's not easy. Usually, people break into kind of two groups around subjects that are heavy like this, particularly around racism. There's a group of people who say, I'm really glad the church is talking about this. I'm earnestly committed to this work. I desire for us to take steps in this direction. Our world needs to hear this witness. There's a sincere heart for that. There's also a group of people who are saying, I don't think this is appropriate to talk about in church. I'm I'm really not sure about where the Bible speaks to this. I'm uncomfortable having this conversation. Both groups and other groups of people are in this room. And I welcome that. And I am committed as your pastor to addressing this through the lens of those two committed groups of people. Because honestly, guys, the gospel has a lot to say to both groups. The gospel has a lot to say to your heart and to my heart, however we're coming into this. But what we talked about last week is a recap, is racism is real, it is a sin, it is in our world and in each of our hearts, and our desire in this sermon series is not to make people who are somehow expunged of all of our racist beliefs. No, 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 no. Jesus will do that when he comes again, amen? Where our goal, our desired outcome is restoration. That's the title of this sermon series. And restoration is this, the process by which God, Almighty God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, calls his people to join Jesus in the work of making all things new. Say those last last three words with me. All things new. Your heart my heart, your family, my family, our schools, our places of work, all things need to be made new. And this only comes through the power of Jesus Christ. So we are not talking about political affiliation, although that'll hopefully come up and it'll touch your heart. We are not talking about uh, taking a class on sociology or race or anything like that. What we are talking about is the gospel calls us upward to seek the renewal of all things, your heart and mine included. So today, we are going to be talking about where prejudice started to kind of break into the early church, and it didn't take that long to break into the church, guys. And we're going to go through this outline. We're going to define some key terms. We're going to have a lot of definitions today. You're welcome. I like to be clear about the terms that I'm using, so enjoy. Prejudice in the book of Acts, because it's there. You're like, wait a sec, hold on, that word wasn't in the text. No, it's not in the text, but it's in the text. Prejudice in the modern church, and then the response of the gospel. So if you're a note taker, you're welcome to use this outline. Let's talk about some definitions. Let's be clear about what we're talking about. If you were to pick up faithful Webster's Dictionary off of your desk, 
and look it up like I did early this morning, prejudice is defined as damage or detriment to one's rights or claims and or an opinion made without adequate basis. Smith's Burgers. I have made my opinion about Smith's Burgers. I'm not going to eat there based on my one experience there. That's, that's prejudice. That's a little bit biased on my part. All the statisticians in the room are like, you've got to be kidding me, buddy. But what is the big deal about this? These things might seem innocuous at a level. Like, don't we all do this, right? Where it starts to get nasty, where it starts to get antithetical to the gospel, is when we leverage this against people. It's one thing for me to say, I don't care for a particular hamburger restaurant, but what if I were to say something like, I don't like the people that work at that hamburger restaurant. Ooh, it's getting a little tougher, isn't it? getting a little bit harder, a little bit edgier. This is where we need to bring the gospel into this definition. I'm taking that second definition of prejudice, and I'm basically just bolting on a theistic approach to this. An opinion, prejudice is an opinion made without adequate basis, usually toward other people. And let us be reminded last week, other people who are made in the image of God. If you weren't here last week, I'll give you a quick recap. Human beings are made in the image of God. Every single person you have ever met is made to reflect an image God. This is Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Let us make humankind in our likeness, in our image. And so the basis for all the ethical constructs in Orthodox Christianity is you look at somebody else and you see someone who bears God's image. That means that the talk show host that you can't stand that's on the opposite preferred cable news network, that person is made in the image of God. That means that your neighbor, who you don't like, or your kid's teacher who, you know, just kind of rubs you the wrong way, or your boss, and, you know, that person is made in the image of God. It doesn't mean you have to always like them, agree with them, or welcome them in a particular way, but what it means is you honor and respect the image of God that is given to that person. When we are clear about the image of God, we are clear about why racism is a sin, because racism tries to tear down the image of God. It tries to say, look, it doesn't matter. That person's mean to you, or that person's different than you. You need to get away from them. No, it's antithetical to the gospel to do things that tear down the image of God. Another way to think about prejudice, as we think about like how we're biased towards things, or how we just don't want to move in that direction— Prejudice is kind of the beginning of the slippery slope of discrimination. In other words, it can lead into this pattern where you just start to go, well, I don't like this burger chain, so I just don't like burgers. I'm just, I'm not, just not even going to go there, right? I'm being a little facetious, but like, it is a slippery slope. Paul talked about this in one of his letters. He said, sin gives birth to death. So again, while we're talking about prejudice, and it may seem at a top level like, eh, why is that that big a deal? It's not necessarily that. It's the thing beneath that. It's the slippery slope down into discriminating against other people and tearing them up and saying, I don't want anything to do with that person or that kind of person is where we start to get deeply in the wrong in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I have a friend who's a police officer. And he uh, worked in Pierce County, so kind of south of here, served all kinds of different populations of people, right? So like, you've got Tacoma, you've got Puyallup, but then you've got all these different kind of outlying areas that are very, very diverse. And this is a person of color who's uh, my friend here, this police officer. And he's got some crazy stories, my goodness. But one thing that he was sharing with me, and I'm, I'm fine sharing this with you guys, is that over his time in service in the police department, he would see patterns in certain communities. He would get called often to different parts of the community that he served. And in his heart, 
he would start to develop a bit of a bias. He actually said to me at one point, you know, one of the things that God is still working on my heart about is that there was a group of people from a particular country, a country in Eastern Europe. And to this day, I still have a hard time dealing with that group of people. I do. I have developed, there is a part of my heart that has formed a callus, if you will, toward that group of people. My friend was being honest in the gospel of Jesus Christ to share that, and I wonder if you and I could as well. I wonder. Could we be honest about, you know, I just, I don't care to deal with that group of people. I just, mm, I'd rather not. It's not hateful at a top level, but remember, this is the slippery slope. Sin gives birth to death. Are you giving sin too much room and is giving birth to death? Have we as a church? Have we as families? Have we in our community? Things get slippery fast, church. So what do we do about it? We look to the example, not the perfect example, but the example of our ancestors in faith by talking about the book of Acts. Now, Acts could be subtitled a history of the Holy Spirit. Because Acts is about the early church, but it's about the movement of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus has been resurrected. He's talking to his disciples, and he says this, but you will receive, say this word with me, church, like you mean it, power. Say it again. Power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and Kirkland, and Redmond, and Bellevue, and Bothell, and you will receive power to the ends of the earth. This is happening in a group of people that nobody would have picked, that were not the most educated, or not the most holy, but they were the people that showed up to faithfully follow Jesus Christ after his resurrection. Now, in Acts chapter 2, we come crashing into a party. There's a party going on in Jerusalem called Pentecost. Pentecost simply means 50 days. The Jews celebrated 50 days after Passover by throwing a big celebration in Jerusalem. And then this happened. This is a a work of art from an artist named Jennifer Lee Allison, actually a, a Christian woman who's got an amazing story. Look her up. But in the moment of Pentecost, there's a group of people gathered together in Jerusalem. Kind of feels like worship, where they're all with one another. And then all of a sudden, the text says there was a violent wind. I'm not going to read this line by line, but if you want to look at Acts chapter 2, you can follow along. You ever been in a windstorm? You ever had the power knocked out at your house? A violent wind is not a pleasant thing. It's very unsettling. And you can't do nothing about it, right? So they are in the midst of this. There's a fear and a movement around them. And then all of a sudden, the text says, divided tongues rest on people. Tongues of fire. This guy's running out of oil. Tongues of fire resting on people. That would just astound me, right? Like just to see the color and the boldness of this image just took my breath away. And that is what these people experienced. And then even more miraculously, in verses 4 through 11, there's a burst of language. Think about the last time you walked through an international airport and you heard this language over here and this language over here and that group of people over there and maybe you heard somebody speaking English over there. It's like that, but these people are praising the work of God. They're not talking about random things. They are praising God with their voices. It is being poured out. And in this moment, there is unity in the church for a split second. You blink and you miss it. There is a picture of the global church. Because, friends, the church is a lot bigger than all of us gathered here in Kirkland. Amen? And it's beautiful. It's a gorgeous moment. 
And yet, people's response to this moment is deeply divided. It's deeply divided. When God does something through the Holy Spirit, it does not mean there will be a uniformity of receptivity. It doesn't mean that everyone's going to have the same reaction to the work of the Holy Spirit. Let me give you an example. In Acts 2, verses 12 and 13, we have these two very different examples. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? Say that question with a smile on your face. What does this mean? What's happening? This is exciting. I can't believe this. Wow. And then part two. But others sneered and said, they're filled with new wine. Two wildly different reactions. What's that about? That word sneer, this is the only time it occurs in the New Testament. Isn't that fascinating? One time. The word sneer is defined as to smile, to laugh, to contort the face in a manner that shows scorn or contempt. Now, I love movies. I had to think about a movie where someone just really sneers good, so I looked up all the different villains that I love, and I looked up the Harry Potter movies and Draco Malfoy's right at the top. But my favorite sneer of any movie ever comes from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Do you remember this guy, the waiter at the fancy French restaurant, when they show up and they try to get in? You remember this part? And he has this great line, I weep for the future. Right? Like, this is such a sneering, sniveling guy. And he doesn't want these kids to be in his fancy French restaurant. No, no, no. So he turns his nose up at them. But here's the thing, church. We may laugh at this, and I'm glad you laughed, because I love Ferris Bueller. And if you hadn't laughed, we might be having a different conversation. It's not about the what that these people sneer. It's about the who. This is where prejudice enters into the text. The what is the miracle of Pentecost. They're not sneering at that. They're not turning their nose up and saying, oh, flames of fire, how how pithy. No. They're turning their nose up at the people. How do we know that? Look at verse 7 with me. Just before, there's that long list in the text of all the different countries where people come from. It says this, the miracle has happened. Amazed and astonished, they, the people watching this happen, And I believe the same people who sneered and turned their noses up at it, they said, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? That seemingly is a throwaway comment, but if we probe a little bit, it goes a lot deeper than that. Galileans, why is that familiar to us? Hmm, Galilee, where is that? Oh, right. So, here we are in Jerusalem for Pentecost. The Spirit is being poured out. Up here to the north is Galilee. And there's a little town in Galilee, maybe you've heard of it, Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus' hometown. Jesus was a Galilean. You go further north from Galilee, you get into Syrophoenicia. Syrophoenicia was known as a part of the ancient Near East where races were mingling, where the Jews were intermarrying with other people. In other words, it was looked down upon by those of high Jewish status and culture. Galilee was a backwater community. Country bumpkins is a nice way to put it. Hillbillies. Uneducated. City folk would have looked down on these people. It's interesting, in Matthew, at the very end, after Jesus has been crucified and his disciples scatter, Peter's sitting by a fire warming himself, and someone comes up to him and says, hey, weren't, weren't you one of the disciples that was with Jesus, the Galilean? And Peter says, no, 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 no. And then the person says to him, yeah, you are. I can hear it in your accent. 
You're from Galilee. You got that twang. A commentator says this, in amazement, the people point out that those who are speaking in tongues are Galileans. Wow, who knew? Inhabitants of Jerusalem regarded Galilee as, Galilee as a backward locale, peculiar of all, first of all, because of its dialect in which laryngeal sounds are swallowed. Think about it this way. People from Galilee, they didn't talk right. They, they didn't use words quite as well as others might have. Maybe their literacy was a little lower. Maybe their economic status was a little bit lower. Regardless, there is prejudice in this perspective, in this passage. That group of people, man, they are over there, and there is no way God could be at work in them. The accusation at the very end of the text is they are filled with new wine. They're drunk off the cheat stuff. Those people... They're not sober long enough in the day to be recipients of the power of God. How, why, why would we pay attention to them? Do you see what's happening here? A group of people is being written off. And this other group is saying, there's no way God could be at work in that group. No way. This is the reality of sin. And do not make the mistake, church, of thinking that you are not part of this. That I am not part of this. Do not make that mistake. Every one of us has an equivalent of Galilee. We have a place in our minds and in our memories or a group of people that we would just say, you know, I don't know what God's doing in those people. I'm not concerned for them. I don't really like them. I'm not invested in their well-being. I don't like those liberals. I don't like those conservatives. I don't think God could be at work over there. I think the text would tell us otherwise. Where is your Galilee, church? Who are your Galileans? At whom do you sneer? Might not be racially motivated. Might be economics. Might be education. Might be politics. And here's the thing. All throughout church history, we've had our fair share of sneering. We've had plenty of sneering in church history. Case in point, 1906 to 1950 in the Azusa Street Revival. How many of my Pentecostal friends in the room are excited right now? The Azusa Street Revival happened in Los Angeles, California in the early 20th century. A black preacher <clears throat> named William J. Seymour stumbled into, discovered, uplifted a movement of the Holy Spirit that launched the modern Pentecostal movement throughout the 20th century. So if you've walked into a Pentecostal church in any time over the last 100 years, you should thank William J. Seymour, a black pastor from Los Angeles, who gathered people together, and they prayed together, and the Holy Spirit poured out over them. And it was incredible. And a whole bunch of people said there's no way God could be at work in that because it's a black pastor. There's no way God could be at work in that. Look at that, Look at that clapboard church over there. Who, who does things in there? That place should be condemned. God couldn't be at work in that building. Are you kidding me? And yet, the Azusa Street Revival lives on today. Still there. Still proclaiming the gospel in Los Angeles. Which, by the way, West Coasters, we like to think that the West Coast cities don't have this long, sordid history of racism. Oh, please. We got our own problems in Seattle, but if you know anything about the history of Los Angeles, boy, oh boy, 
tough things happen there over race for many years and continue to. Don't let ourselves off the hook because we're on the West Coast. It's still a problem. Another example, this gentleman, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. Dr. King, one of the things I have most learned to appreciate about him as a leader is how he was criticized by everybody. Everyone criticized Dr. King. Everyone. There was a group of people who were excited about his ministry, and of course, they were with him and they were for him, but Dr. King, you are not being forward enough about the, the politics of this. You need to be on the phone with the president. You've got to get the politics right, Dr. King. No, 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 Dr. King, you need to be more peaceful. This is getting too violent. Like, you need to tell your people to stand down. Like, oh, Dr. King, we're, we're not getting it the right way. Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And to his credit, Dr. King stayed faithful to Jesus Christ and to the call of the gospel. But he had people, as we would say, adding him all the time. Clearly, it was a moment that the Holy Spirit was at work, and yet there were plenty of people that said, there's no way God could be at work in that gentleman. No chance. Here's the point. We are tempted, all of us are tempted to think that if Pentecost were to happen today, if Dr. King were to come walking through here today, that we would be the people who would say, we're with you, we are on the right side of history this time. I'm not so sure that I would be on the right side of history. Actually, I'm not that concerned about being on the right side of history. I'm concerned about listening for the work of the Holy Spirit like the text is telling us to. And I'm convinced that all of us in this room would probably tell ourselves, no, 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 I would get it. I would understand what's happening. The tongues of fire, I would get it. The pastor calling people to march across the bridge in Selma, Alabama, I would do it. Would you? Or would your hard heart keep you locked into your comfort and your safety? Most dangerous things running around on the east side right now are our comfort and our safety. So how do we respond to this? We need restoration. We need to partner with God in the work of making all things new. How does God desire to do this? Let's look at how he did it in Acts chapter 2. Pentecost is happening. People are speaking in tongues. And Peter, who by all accounts was completely disqualified from ministry stands up, and he gives his sermon, one of the greatest speeches in the history of the church. He invites people to faith. And in one section of it, he outlines power, real power, that I want us to grab a hold of. He says this to the people, fellow Israelites, listen to what I have to say. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with deeds of what, church? Power. Say it with me. Power. I can't hear you. Power. Deeds of power, wonders, and signs that God did through him among you, as you yourselves know this man, he was handed over to you according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of those outside the law. You people put Jesus up on a cross, and then God raised him up, having released him from the agony of death because it was impossible for him to be held in its power. This is the gospel that Jesus Christ rescued sinners, that there's no power on earth that could hold him back, not even death. And therefore, there's no power on earth that should hold you back from doing his work and bringing his justice and his restoration to the world. Peter is saying to this crowd, the Galileans are right. 
This is a work of the Holy Spirit. So pay attention. And as he speaks, he, he says Israelites at the beginning, but there's Gentiles all around them. There's people listening in on this conversation. Let us always be mindful of those outsiders that are listening into our religious talk. And the church is called to power. Not power for the sake of wielding power, but power for the achievement of the good of the kingdom of God. So receive this encouragement, church. If you consider yourself sold out for and bought into the mission of addressing racism and bringing into reality the kingdom of God, a just and good kingdom, when is the last time you called on the power of God to help you? When's the last time you asked God for his resurrection power to overcome and break apart all the things around us that are built upon the foundation of racism? Or when you've seen something take place and you thought, oh, I wish I had the power to do something. What if you ask God to bring his power to do something? We are a self-reliant people and it will be our downfall. But if we ask for the power of God to reach our children, to shape our schools, to change the way that politics plays out in this country, change the way the church addresses this, to change the way that our hearts turn away from the poor and the marginalized, oh, then, then might the power come that changes your heart and mine. Power is the first thing that the text calls us to do. The second thing it calls us to do is to confess and repent. And honestly, church, this will be harder. When the group of people listening to Peter, when they heard this, they heard the gospel, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? We, we, we don't know. What should we do? Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Where is your Galilee? Who are your Galileans? Is an invitation to ask yourself, where is the sin in my heart? Around prejudice, around injustice, around divisions, where is it? And yes, I know that question presumes that it's in there. That's part of the point. Peter called these people not just to keep living in a certain way and trotting along and being good boys and girls, he called them to something deeper. So we're going to have time to reflect on this. Because I don't know about you, but I can't do a lot of processing on the dark corners of my heart if I have someone talking to me. So I'm going to put up an opportunity to reflect here in a moment. We're going to have just a few minutes to be silent. And then we'll have a few moments to pray together in some groups in response to this. We're going to pray for God's power. We're going to pray for an end to all the things in this world that are so broken beginning with our hearts. Jesus, help us, is what we will do together. But before we do, I want to just give you an image of what I think about when I think about the call to racism, or excuse me, the call to repentance. When we confess, which we do in this church, usually before communion, but we're going to do this today silently, we are simply offering to God that which is in our hearts that we are embarrassed and ashamed of and that we don't want other people to see. And if you're like me, there's not enough time in the day to list out all that stuff. But you're going to take time and just hold that out to the Lord, whatever it may be. 
We are not being asked to share this with each other. This is between you and God. But then the response of repentance. Repentance simply means turning and going in a new direction. So when Peter tells this crowd, stop what you're doing, go in a new direction, follow the gospel to its logical conclusion, he's not telling them to clean up their acts. He's telling them, go and follow where God is leading you. So the image that comes to my mind is uh, when we lived in western Colorado, we lived in a half-urban, half-agricultural community. And you could go visit people who lived on their farms, and in their farms they would have these trenches dug to provide water. Simple irrigation. And if you have a trench dug properly, it delivers water to your crops. It gets it to where it needs to go. And if the trench is dug improperly, the water can go wherever. It can spill out, it's wasted, it nourishes weeds, it's, it's not good. Repentance, in my mind, is when you dig a new trench, when you ask the Holy Spirit to dig a new trench in your heart and get you flowing in the right direction. Not your power, not your shovel, not your strength. God, would you come and, and remake this, this ugliness that's in me? I'm just flowing toward my lust or my pain or my animosity or my prejudice. Would you just dig a new trench? Would you reroute your power through me? Because it's not going where it needs to go. It's getting wasted. I'm tired of it. Are you tired of it? Are you tired of seeing sin dominate so much of your life and so much of our world? Then ask. Church, ask by the power of the Holy Spirit for something new, for a new work. That's the invitation as we turn to this time to reflect. So on your own, you can write this out. You're not turning this in. You're not sticking it up anywhere. Where is my Galilee? Or who are the Galileans in my life? The people that I sneer at, that I look down my nose at. We all have them. Who would they be? And then a posture of confession. Hold that out to the Lord and pray for those people. Like if my friend, the police officer here, he'd be praying for those people from that country in Eastern Europe. So pray for them. And then in groups, in a few minutes, I'll cue us, I'll invite us to turn. And we'll just take time and pray. The leaders, our MRJR leaders who are kind of leading these group discussions, they'll, they'll take time and pray over this at the very end. But just name one way that you would ask God to deploy his incredible power to bring restoration to our world or to your heart. Only God's power can do it. Would you be bold enough to ask him for it? I'll pray for us and then we'll spend some time in silent reflection. Let's Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for the witness of the people of the church in Acts. Thank you they didn't get it right. They missed the mark like we all do. So would you help us, Lord? Would you root in us a desire to be honest before you and to confess and to do so with an energy beyond ourselves that comes from your Holy Spirit? And would you take that confession and let it not just fall to the ground, but instead let it become the pathway through which you write your story of restoration in each of our lives? Would you inspire us, God, to ask for your power to renew and transform us and transform our families and our businesses and the schools our kids go to and the neighborhoods that we belong to. Lord, help us, hear us now in the silence as we hold out our confession to you. We ask in the name of Christ, amen. Please continue in silence.